Welcome to Recruiting is No Joke. This is episode, I think, 17. I want to say 17 or 18, uh, but welcome, everybody. Uh, we're glad to be here. I've got a great guest for us today. And um, yeah, just excited for the conversation. So as always, if you can, let me know in the chat who is out there, because uh, we want to make this interactive. We don't want it to be uh, you know, just a one-way conversation. So let me know who's out there. Let me know what agency with, you're with, what company you're with, um, and we will get going. And then just a quick shout out to Bright Hire, our sponsor. Uh, really appreciate the support from you guys as well. So Without further ado, Melanie, I would love for you to uh, introduce yourself, to share with us a little bit uh, about what you do, what your company does. And then I always like to start off the podcast with like how you got into, yeah. uh, usually I say recruiting, but I think this time, like how did you get into like the people management, people space? And I uh, would love to, love to hear that. Yeah, so hi all. Uh, you all get a two for one today. My little pup Hermie. <laughs> yes. So welcome to Hermie. Uh, hopefully he'll be quiet on the call. Uh, <laughs> so yes, as Joel said, my name is Melanie. Oh no, we have a cat coming. Come on, come here. <laughs> Uh, I'm just this is, no, this is this is why I did that post today, which is like remote work. This is why remote work is so great, in my it opinion. It really is, though, right? Because now you know so much about me. You know I have a problem. I'm hoarding animals. And also, <laughs> they're just so lovely and cute. VP, uh, VP of people slash VP of pets, apparently. Yes. So oh, I love that. I need to advocate for that title change. Remind me, talk to my boss after this. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so hi all, my name is Melanie, as Joel mentioned, um, I work with Athena. Um, we are a company whose mission is really to build inclusive and ethical workplaces. And the way that we do that is through uh, compliance trainings that work. Um, so that's, you know, harassment trainings that aren't just tick the box, you know, bare minimum requirements of the law, but that actually talk about real relevant examples like what to do if you misgender someone, explaining, you know, how to mitigate unconscious bias, stuff like that. So it's a really great product. I'm super excited to partner with uh, Athena. And right. So let's talk a little bit about me and how I got into yeah. the people space. And thank you, Robin uh, or Ravine. Um, he's a very cute dog. Uh, yeah, so, we're, getting, we're getting a lot of uh, see, lot we're of getting a lot of compliments on the book. We never get compliments like that in this show. So that's really okay. That's a good well, sign. You're welcome. And, you know, I have two more cats. So maybe they'll make a special guest appearance. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Recruiting is No Joke. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Bright Hire. The old way of hiring just doesn't cut it anymore. And my friends at Bright Hire are here to help. BrightHire is a leading interview intelligence platform for improving quality of hire at talent-first companies. Their technology records and transcribes interviews and creates a set of highlights you can revisit and share to streamline the process, improve the candidate experience, and give teams better information to make the best possible hiring decisions. If you're looking to improve your quality of hire and reduce bias in your hiring process, Visit brighthired.com today and let them know Joel sent you. Now back to the episode. Thanks again. To say that 
you know, most people in the people space that I've met with, except as of recently, right, <clears throat> most people sort of didn't choose people, they sort of fell into people, I think, because it's not one of those careers up until recently that has been romanticized. You know, it's not like, you don't see little kids, you know, standing up in front of class being like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be out of HR. It's just not a thing, especially when you, when you think about, you know, stereotypes of HR and what we've seen in the media, like, you know, Toby of The Office. Although I will note that in my last company, my nickname was Toby and I owned that name. I did <laughs> not mind it at all. Um, but so, so certainly I hadn't like envisioned falling into HR my whole life, but I did in the end choose HR. So it's not like I was trying to do something else and I ended up here. But the way I fell into HR is funny because so um, so I'm the first person in my family to enter the corporate workforce, graduate from college, all that stuff. Right. And what can come with that is just sort of like a lack of knowledge and awareness of the different career paths out there, especially, you know, uh, being raised by an immigrant family, you know, our our ideas of what I should be are basically, you know, we came to America so you could be a doctor or a lawyer. Those are your <laughs> options. And uh, those were not options that I wanted. HR wasn't an option then, no. So the funny thing is we didn't, I didn't even know what HR was, truly. I hadn't, and that sounds so silly now, but yeah. at the time I didn't. And when I have sort of like empathy for myself at that time, right, like, how could I know that HR was a thing? You know, the people that I grew up with, I grew up in um, a, sort of a, a low, in a low socioeconomic town where, you know, my friend's parents and my parents were, you know, babysitters, janitors, hairdressers, all perfectly uh, respectable jobs. I just want to flag my mom worked 10 times harder than I ever did my entire life. Um, and, and she took care of children her whole life. Um, and so, uh, but it just wasn't something that I knew about, right? I knew those jobs and then I knew doctor and lawyer and that was pretty much it. And so I was fortunate enough that I was part of a program that really, uh, their name is Seeds, Seeds Access, shout out to them, changed my life. Um, and they both helped uh, me get into higher education because um, their goal is really to end the cycle of poverty. Um, and <clears throat> through them, I also managed to get an internship with Coach, the handbag company. Um, and the intern the funny thing is I actually interviewed for a bunch of things that they had. It was sort of like an uh, like a like an internship job fair. And uh, funnily enough, I, they were not interested in me for any of the jobs that were or any of the internships that were on hand. But luckily enough, I ended up <clears throat> just hitting it up with, uh, is that a saying, uh, hitting it off? Is that a saying? Yeah, Two bullet yeah. sayings. Okay. I ended up hitting it off with um, one of the HR reps who was leading the fair. And fortunately enough, especially because they had a relationship with Seeds of the Program, they said, you know what? You, you don't seem like a good fit for any of these uh, internships, but how would you like to spend the summer working in HR? And Again, no, no idea. Massively exciting summer in HR. Massively, <laughs> yes. I just truly, like, I didn't even have any idea. I didn't even know, like, if this was something I should be disappointed about. All I knew was, oh, my gosh, I just got an offer for a paid internship, which mm. is just, I mean, I, I'm glad now that paid internships are more the norm. But at that time, it was very common to have unpaid internships, which yeah. are just so inequitable, right? Because only some people can afford to take them, so on and so forth. But I was so, I felt so privileged and honored to be offered a paid internship in HR. 
And that's really what set it off for me, right? I did an internship, it worked out. They invited me back into a different um, area of the HR function. So I started with TA, then I went into uh, talent develop or training and development. Um, and then after college, um, I taught English in China for a year and realized I really love teaching, uh, mm. but I don't want to work with kids. Uh, I, I have I have a limit to how much I can deal with, <laughs> you know, young children, uh, bless their souls. And um, and so I, I decided, you know, HR seems, you know, like a nice fit for me. You know, I enjoyed my internships and it's sort of like teaching, but for adults, right? You're teaching adults how to effectively communicate, how to manage up, how to lead effectively, inclusively. Um, and of course, there's so much more than that to HR. But at the time, that that was my my thought process. And um, yeah, from, from there, the rest is history. I uh, really stuck with HR and I'm so glad that I did. It really, really, truly suits me. And it's, it's, it's almost um, sort of uh, sad to think that had I not happened upon this internship experience, I wouldn't have even known that it was a career opportunity for me to pursue. So, you know, the, the, like, I'm very excited and the power of connections and also just want to acknowledge that like, it's a privilege, right. To be able to, um, explore different career paths that many people otherwise just don't even know exist. And so already there's a barrier to them entering into those fields. So I'm, I'm very fortunate and very, uh, very just lucky and happy and grateful to have had this opportunity and to have fallen into the HR world. Yeah, no, I love that. And obviously you've uh, kind of, I think I mentioned in, in the post as well, like you've kind of progressed, you know, pretty pretty quickly in, in a lot of ways into the position yeah. you're in. And obviously you've worked really hard to get there as, as well. But just curious, like how, um, you know, how, how kind of, how you kind of made those progressions and how you kind of got to, to this point, like what, what would you credit that to? And, uh, you know, obviously timing and those types of things are, are also part of it, but I, I just love to, to kind of hear how that, that happened in your career as well. Yeah, you know, so some of it I want to acknowledge is being in the right place at the right time, right? Like some of it is the luck of the draw. So I never, I never want to pretend that like, you know, if you if you do all the right things, everything will work perfectly. I want to acknowledge that there was an element of luck for sure. And also, you know, I think given just like how grateful for this opportunity I felt, which maybe was outsized for what it was, but again, you know, coming from my background, I was just like, this is an opportunity, I must not squander it. Um, yeah. I really gave my all to, to my job. Um, and so, you know, anytime there was uh, an opportunity for a new project or a gap that somebody wasn't filling or something that somebody else didn't wanna do, I was like, me? I'll do it. I don't know what it is, but I'll do it. And there just like was no task too large or too small for me. I was just constantly um, putting myself out there to the point that, you know, it sort of became like a default, like, oh, here's this new thing. <laughs> you know, like, we don't know who to give it to. Melanie will do it, right? And I want to acknowledge, certainly I'm a millennial and part of that hustle culture, which can sometimes lean in the uh, direction of, uh, you know, a little bit unhealthy with regard to not having those boundaries. Certainly over time, I have learned to build up those boundaries and have a, a better work-life balance. But at the time, certainly being my first time in the corporate workforce, not knowing what those boundaries were and just wanting to make sure I did everything in my power to really help myself grow and succeed um, and give no one uh, any reason to, you know, not want me on the job. Um, I really just, any project out there, put myself out there. And 
I recommend it to be honest. Like I, I don't recommend doing it to the point that you burn yourself out or anything like that. But I do recommend, you know, if, if, a new project opens up and you've never done it before, look at it as a growth opportunity. If yeah. you have to change managers, don't see it as like, oh no, look at this change. It's so upsetting. Look at it as, hey, okay, I'm going to learn how to navigate a new relationship with a new personality type. And that was really the approach that I took. And so what ended up happening then is as opportunities opened up because I had the tenure, because um, I had built that trust that even if Melanie doesn't know what this is, she will figure it out quickly and make it work. Here's the second cat. <laughs> uh, it's, it's truly a problem. Um, and, uh, and so I sort of became that person where if you need something done, go to Melanie. And if a new op opportunity opens up, give it to Melanie. And so, you know, when one role opened up, it was hand, it was you know offered to me and then um the other thing i will say is that you know it's it's really um it's especially good when you join a fast growing company because as the company grows you also will have more opportunity to grow. Now, it's it's a double-edged sword, or I don't know if that's the right term here, but you know there is risk inherent, right? When companies are growing quickly, one risk that can happen is that um, the company outgrows you, right? So you have to be very, very careful that you are growing rapidly along with the company. So when mm. those opportunities up, you are primed for it. Uh, but if you are, you know, it's it's much easier, I think, to get promoted as companies are growing than if you've already got, you know, a super large corporation where everything's like super red tape and you have to be in this position for three years before you can be considered for the next level up. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a combination of, you know, truly um, hard work ethic, like truly putting myself out there always looking at everything with a positive attitude, always volunteering to help other people, um, as well as a little bit of luck of the draw, and then um, and then joining a company that was growing very quickly. Yeah, no, I love that though, because that's, that's not really, I honestly don't think that that is the most popular message nowadays where it comes to like the, hey, you know, putting, putting the work in and working really, really hard. And obviously, you know, we have to get the balance there between hustle culture and burning yourself out, but between working, you know, working hard, but I, you have to work hard, right? I mean, that's, that's a, a huge part of, of being successful and, and growing in your career. I mean, at the end of the day. I mean, I think that's exactly right, right? I think the key there is it's part of being successful and growing in your role, right? Because I actually have a ton of empathy um, and respect for people who have decided that like, actually, that's not my priority in life. Like, I'm not about that hustle culture. I'm not trying to climb the corporate ladder. I'm chilling. I'm here for my nine to five. And, you know, and then I'm living my life outside of work, right? Yep. For me personally, that's not my preference. I love my job and I love loving my job. If I don't love my job, I truly just get so unhappy, so unmotivated, even my personal life. Mm. So for me, this works. This is what makes me happy. I like investing this much time in my career. I, I do absolutely want to grow in my career and that's my priority, right? But I certainly like, I always, you know, I know people talk about like, oh, millennials versus Gen Z <laughs> and this and that. I actually think it's just person specific, right? Yeah. Some people are about that life. Some people aren't. And there's no right or wrong. The one thing I will say, though, is, you know, it's important to recognize that in yourself and know what it is that your values are and what it is that you want. Because the reality is that, you know, if you join a company where those values are misaligned, you're going to run into issues, right? If you're joining a company that does have a hustle culture, you know, I'm in a 
fast, I, I'm in a, in a fast paced startup environment, right? If I was just looking to chill and do a nine to five, this would not be the right company for me. Not to say that we don't have good work-life balance, but absolutely we're looking for people who are like hungry, passionate, you know, love the job. Um, and so certainly Athena wouldn't have been the place for me. Um, and that can, that can lead to unhappiness, burnout, all of that. Um, but if it is for you, great, pursue it. And if it's not, then just make sure that you're looking for jobs where, you know, that aligns. And there are absolutely jobs out there where, you know, it is a very different culture where like, yeah, they're not looking for that, like, you know, fast paced startup mentality they're looking for. Here's a specific thing we need to get done. Do it. Right. Um, maybe freelance work as well, depending on, you know, what your interests are. But I do, I do always um, feel like a need to, to clarify that, like, yeah, this is what works for me, but certainly like all the respect in the world if it doesn't work for someone else. And I don't think that anyone should feel pressured to pursue, you know, one uh, approach or the other, which I think unfortunately is, you know, the downfall of many people where whether it be, you know, familial pressures, peer pressures, you're looking at social media and you're seeing what everyone else is doing and thinking like, oh, then I should be doing the same thing. It's really about what you want and making sure that you find that alignment with your, you know, whatever career path you do choose. Yeah, I love that. And and I think too, you know, I'm curious, like from your, in your position as like, you know, leading the people function and kind of understanding different types of people that come in into your company, like how, how do you as like a people leader, um, you know, kind of balance that too, because obviously like you are going to have people who come in who just have different goals and they have mm -hmm. different, um, you know, they just have different priorities at the end of the day. So is that something that you think is that kind of changes as you scale and as you go from like maybe startup into more of like a mature company and like how do you how do you kind of deal with that because I, I again like i don't think everybody you know is that just like a startup thing or is that is that for more mature companies if that makes sense yeah so i i feel like there's like two parts to this question so i'm going to try and answer them in separate ways and tell me if i get off off topic here so i think the first thing is for me as an employer, I feel like my responsibility to employees is to be upfront, honest, and transparent. And, and that way, then the employee can, the candidate, for example, can make the best decision for them. So in terms of like, how do we navigate like our culture and, you know, different types of people, you know, I think it's my job to say, hey, this is what it's like to work at Athena. These are our values. This is the kind of company we are. These are the kinds of employees we are looking mm. for, right? And um, we do that. We are very upfront about it. We have values um, in our job descriptions. We say exactly what kind of people we're looking for in the interview process. We talk about that. And that way people, you know, can make that decision. You know, we, we made the decision, um, I think this was, you know, almost a year ago now. I made a LinkedIn post. It couldn't have been a year ago because I only joined LinkedIn. Like <laughs> okay, I'm making I'm making dates up. But uh, several months ago, we, we made the decision to make a post where we basically said, hey, you know, it seems like people define work-life balance in different ways, right? Um, some people work-life balance is sort of like severance, that that uh, Apple TV movie uh, show where it's sort of like, hey, at five o'clock, I don't want to think about work anymore. It's done. You cannot contact me. Cool. Respect. Other people work-life balance, especially in this new remote flexible world, is it's not about the hours specifically or the schedule. It's about having the flexibility to step away when I need to yeah. and focus on my output, right? So if I need to work an extra two hours tonight so that I can step out and go to, you know, my nephew's dance recital, that's what work-life balance is to me. Um, and some people, they don't want work-life balance. They're like, my job is my life and that's what I want. That's where I get my happiness from, right? And so we thought, you know what? It's really important 
that we just put out how we define work-life balance on Athena because, you know, super smart. Thank you. Because, you know, we had been getting a lot of candidates asking like, what's work-life balance at Athena? You know, work-life balance is very important to me. And we just, you know, we were picking up on the fact that people were defining it differently and we didn't want to mislead anyone, right? If you say, does your company have work-life balance? And you just say, yes. Yeah. No one has ever answered no. (laughs) No. Maybe Tesla. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> and, and so, you know, no one says no, everyone says yes, but like, what does that mean? And then, yeah. you know, people join the company thinking it meant something else. And then, you know, you know, then there's misalignment and unhappiness, false expectations. So we just went out publicly and we said, listen, work-life balance to us at Athena is we focus on your output, not your mm. input. So we don't care what hours you're working. We don't care how many hours you're working. We care about, are you um, executing on the things that we need you to execute on at the speed and quality that we need you to execute them on, right? And so that was actually why um, we had, when we rolled out our new PTO policy, one of the changes we made was uh, we instituted unlimited half days because our thought process is, if you can get your job done in four hours a day, more power to you. That's just called efficiency, right? <laughs> really. Uh, and so, that. yeah. And so, um, so anyway, so so to answer your question, uh, bring it back. It, you know, we're just very upfront about the kind of culture we are. The one um, disclaimer that I always like to put there is, you know, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think sometimes people can conflate what I'm saying with like, okay, so you're not inclusive then, right? Um, I don't view it that way. I view it as um, we have a set of values, right? right? We're not we're not being exclusive around different personality types or life experiences or you know thinking preferences. In fact, we we really want that diversity and we really build that into our uh, recruitment process. But when it comes to values, yeah, we we have one set of values and we don't change what those are because employees will join or quit jobs based on values alignment. Values misalignment um, statistically has been proven to lead to burnout and higher levels of retention. So certainly, you know, one of our values is that we embrace feedback. Yeah, we're not going to compromise on that. If you are not the kind of person who embraces feedback, that's okay. No hard feelings, but this is not the company for you. And so we should be upfront about that. So I'm curious just with that, like how, because obviously I think a lot of companies like have different values or they have like the written out values, but like, how do you communicate that as to like what that would look like? Um, like feedback's a great example. Like how, how do you communicate that throughout the recruiting process to somebody that's coming in? Like, do you give them example uh, examples of like how you give feedback or like, I, I just, I'm curious about that. Yeah. So it's actually, it's a great question um, because we're actually like so proud of how we do this. Well, I'm open to all the feedback though. We embrace feedback. So if you all are like, wow, Melanie, that's a terrible process. Great. <laughs> let's, let's make it better. Um, so we actually have a values interview. So we actually incorporate mm. our values into the recruitment process. Um, and so we have an, a values interview where basically we are interviewing around our four um, our four values, uh, which are, oh man, I'm going to forget one of them, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's embrace feedback, do our training proud, which basically is, you know, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, DEI, all of that. Uh, humor is human. So uh, the concept is really, you know, not taking yourself too seriously. And then um, uh, play to win, which is, you know, that, that hungry startup 
you know, vibe of like, we are here to win. We're not here to do so-so. We're not here to clock out as soon as it's 5 p.m. We are here to get that job done and do mm. the best that we can, right? Um, again, we're not ashamed of it because we're honest about it so people can make their decisions. And so what we do is we have an interview. It's literally called the values interview. We prepare people for it. We tell them what it is. And we just have a discussion about what our values are at the company. And we ask about their experience with these values and how it's, you know, how how they have sort of like either exemplified them or not or run into issues with them at their previous experiences, you know, that sort of thing. And so it's just this discussion very upfront about what our values are, whether or not you align with that with them, and then just practicing it live with each other, right? We will give feedback in the interview and we solicit feedback from the candidates in the interview. So 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 that that's sort of how we tackle that piece. Um, I know that you had also asked about like, does this change as you scale or as you get to a larger company? In my opinion, what changes is that company cultures do inevitably change the larger that you get. When I joined the company, we were about 40 people and everyone, you know, like was always talking to each other. Everybody knew everyone, you know, really personally. Now we're about 70 people, which is still fairly small, but already you can see the change that like... Yeah certain things that um, everyone just had as institutional knowledge, new hires don't know, right? So we have to then do the work to like, make sure we're not making assumptions, that we're leveling the playing field, that we're, you know, finding ways to bring people together in this all remote world when, you know, teams are now bigger and a little bit more siloed. And so what I think uh, it changes is, you know, some of some of those cultural norms. And, um, and I think it's really important that companies be aware of that because what can happen is a company starts and they're like, these are our values and this is who we are. And then they don't change it for years and years and they never assess and check in to see if things have changed. Oftentimes they have changed after a couple of years. And what can happen is if you don't uh, evaluate that and then communicate that change, or if you decide, oh, I don't like the direction we've now gone in. It's time to come back to our roots, right? If you don't do that, if you don't recalibrate, what will happen is you start um, sending a message that isn't true, right? So promoting a culture and values that you don't actually live up to once the people join the company or the people who joined the company joined for a certain set of values, those values no longer align, so then they leave the company. Um, so I think that changes, but what I don't think changes is that companies need to be upfront and honest and clear about what their values are. And I and I, and I say um, that they need to be uh, clear because in particular, because you know, sometimes the values that companies say they embody are actually aspirational. It's, you know, the culture we wish that we were, but it's yeah. not actually the culture that you are. And if you're not honest about that, you are going to run into issues, especially with employee trust, where you told them one thing, but that's not actually true once they join. Um, so, so, you know, I think truly, no matter what size you are, whether you're a 50 person company or a 5,000 person company, you need to be locked into what your culture and values are. You need to communicate that in, into the interview process. Yeah, I love that. Well, we we did have we got a question here, and I I think you actually did actually answer it, but uh, but I was just basically saying like, how do you find people who align to startups and small companies when fewer people seem to be reading job descriptions? But you kind of alluded to that with just like how your interview is set up, right? You're in your um, you know, you're laying things out pretty clearly with within the interview. Um, but I, I am still kind of curious, like, do, I mean, does this happen a lot where like you're finding, because I, I mean, I see this a lot where people aren't fully reading through things. And then it's like they get into an interview and 
then suddenly you're like sharing what your yeah. values are. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So you know what? I'm going to give you sort of like a, a, like a bit of inside scoop here. The reality is companies, um, for the most part, right? I won't speak for all companies. And certainly there might be some exceptions depending on like if it's a really junior level position. And so they're, you know, being making more exceptions around uh, how they approach this. But the reality is companies want candidates who are really excited about that role, not any role. And so Mm -hmm. companies are looking for the candidates who aren't just reading the job description, but like combing through the website, doing research to, to about like, you know, the history of the company, their values that they put out, the work product that they put out. The reason that, that employers do that is because, you know, that's what leads to retention is people who have joined because they want this company, not just any company. Mm. So I will say, um, unfortunately, if someone's not really reading job descriptions and that is picked up in the interview process, it's usually a pretty big red flag because it's sort of like, oh, it doesn't seem like you're passionate about this job, which, you know, we it, it's not an immediate disqualifier, but certainly it's sort of, you know, it's something that we would probe on like, okay, like, tell me more. I'm surprised that you weren't aware of this because it was in the job description or because it's on the website, you know, have, you know, it, it, I, I would recommend anyone who's applying to, to jobs, do, do make sure that you pay close attention to the job description, to the career website, because you don't want to get caught by surprise. It's sort of like, I, I mean, I, I think empathy is always the best way to like teach things. And so I'll say like, you know, to put yourself in the other, uh, in, into the employer's shoes. Imagine if you uh, went into the interview and the hiring manager didn't know your work experience and they asked a question that was answered in your resume it would feel a little bit like oof you know like oh did you not look at my resume like are you not like really interested in me as a candidate so I'll flag that however I do think this is a really nice segue into you know what I think is a very real problem and so like I don't want to dismiss this question of like oh people aren't really paying attention to job descriptions I'm sure that it is a thing right um and I think it's too bad not because of the candidates, but because of the employers, right? Because, you know, it's funny, um, the more I talk to employers, the more I find that employers tend not to be super thoughtful about their job descriptions. It's sort of like, you know, right? Like I find a template somewhere else, I copy and paste it, and then I plug in the things, right? And so I want to have empathy for all the candidates who aren't reading job descriptions, because there's a reason, right? Employers have not given you a reason to want to read these really boring, really um, just like um, completely, uh, what's the opposite of unique? Just, just. Yeah, it's just, it's just, they're just generic. And it's like, they don't really, to me, the job descriptions, they just tell you like about the person, like a person that you're looking for with like different characteristics almost. They never really talk about like the project work or like what's going to be accomplished or like, you know, what is it that you'll be working on? And so, but I equally too, it's the same with resumes. It's the same problem. People will talk about their tasks that they've completed. Like this is what I've done instead of really focusing more on well, these are the skills that I picked up because of these tasks that I've completed. Uh-huh. And therefore it's going to apply to like whatever the job is. But then you get the, you know, the coaches that will say, well, you need to make your resume more like that. But then it's super hard to tailor it to a job description. That's like, well, we need five to seven years of experience of this. We need someone who's managed a global team. That's great. Tell me why you need someone who, who managed a global team. So it's, it's, it's an issue, but it's interesting. You say that like, I, I guess like, how are you battling with like, 
you know, obviously like it's competitive for talent, like obviously there's layoffs right now, but yeah. like it's been competitive and it still yeah. is really competitive for talent, like despite layoffs. So like, because I see a lot more like, I guess, pressure on like LinkedIn, for example, where there's a lot more pressure for it to be really candid centric. But what I'm hearing from you is like, hey, if somebody comes to us and they haven't actually done their research and they don't know like why they would be a fit here, I mean, that that sounds like that would be actually be, you know, something that you it wouldn't be necessarily a disqualifier, but you'd be like, okay, well, why is it that you want to work? So it is still important is what I'm hearing. It is very much still important. I mean, I can't speak for every HR professional, but certainly the ones that I interact with. And anytime I'm talking to a hiring manager, you know, they definitely want someone who's hungry for the job. Um, now, obviously, there's a difference. Like if we are the ones poaching and sourcing someone. Yeah, certainly. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> why do you want to work for us? I, I don't know. You messaged me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if someone's going to take the time to apply, then we, you know, we do want to make sure, like, is this the one for you? Right. Um, what I will say, though, is that, you know, it, it's such a shame that employers don't pay more attention to job descriptions because it's such low hanging fruit. And, and here's why. Um, first of all, most job descriptions are terrible. So if yours is even a little bit good, you're going to stand out. Um, second of all, especially, you know, because this question in particular was talking about like the startup world. And in the startup world, the reality is nobody knows who you are. Nobody mm. knows who you are. You're teeny tiny never heard of you before. Right. And so my first impression of you is this job description. And so what you're going to give me is a boring generic template. Uh, that's my first impression of you as a startup. You're telling me you're innovative, but this doesn't look innovative. You're right. You're telling me one of your values is humor. Where are the jokes? This is the most boring thing I've ever the read. The job description is a joke. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody gets it. You know what? That is a fair point. <laughs> It truly is. Yeah. And so like, you know, I think about that. And then I think, you know, I also hear, you know, a lot of people in the startup world talking about, you know, the battle to, you know, hire people when we mm. can't compete with big tech salaries. But here's the thing, salaries are not the most important thing. There are other avenues to attract people, but you're not leveraging them. You're getting so focused on what salary you're offering. You're not paying attention to, did you even talk about your values in your job description? Do you even have a careers website that shows who you are? Do you have an Instagram page that shows who your employees are, what fun things you do together, what your priority? You're not doing any of that. So yeah, why would this candidate care about you? Why would this candidate be excited about working for you? You are just another generic job description to them. Um, so, so I do really like, I really have empathy for candidates who are just like, just, I, I just think about like having to apply to dozens and especially with all these layoffs happening and having to read job description after job description where you cannot tell one apart from the other. Like you yeah. truly just cannot. It must be both miserable, and demoralizing and just also just difficult, right? Like how do I decide for myself if this is the job I'm excited about when I, I can't tell how this one is different from the other? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Well, I know uh, obviously uh, we're kind of running, winding down on time here, but I, and I, I usually ask a question at the end of the podcast, but I, I wanted to focus on something which I actually think is really relevant, right? Cause we, we've got set an announcement around Snap, you know, making basically getting people back into the office, right? 80% of the time. And one of the things that they said was, well, we're not getting as much creativity or collaboration. Um, so I, I'm just curious, like to your kind of thoughts on that in terms of like, um, you know, managing like remote workforce and like hybrid and like collaboration and creativity. And um, 
I'd love to just hear too, like some of the things that you've done um, to to just kind of foster those relationships remotely and, and like how you kind of build your team around that as well. Yeah, I think so. I think the key here is um, really acknowledging and recognizing that the ways in which we measure success have to change. And what I mean by that, and I, and I say this truly with all the empathy in the world, is, you know, the the old way of doing things was, you know, you, you track attendance, right? Like how many people attended the holiday party? How many people, you know, participated in, you know, uh, the pumpkin carving contest, whatever the case may be, right? Um, and that was how we measured success and engagement in some ways, right? Where it's like, oh, people are attending. They love working here. People aren't attending. They don't love working here, right? Um, but what we have seen as we go remote and as people really start to rightfully so think about like, what are my values? What are my needs? What are my wants? Is that people engage in different ways. And so if the only way that you're measuring engagement is, okay, we hosted this holiday party, whether in person or virtual and X people didn't come, therefore, you know, we're not doing well. You know, what, what you're missing there is acknowledging that, you know, maybe some people didn't come because they're working parents and they, that time was not good for them and they had to go make dinner for their kids. Or maybe, you know, you're working with some introverts who are just like really exhausted and like that's not the way in which they bond in this mm. big, large group activity. Maybe they have social anxiety. Maybe they just had a really busy day and like what they don't want is to have another meeting on their calendar. So now they have to work one extra hour that day or that week. Right. And so to be more specific in terms of, you know, so then what can we do if, if we're acknowledging that these are some challenges? I think being uh, creative and thoughtful around how you cater to different needs and wants across your company. So for us, you know, a couple of the ways that we manage this is, yes, we do do virtual. We do host virtual activities. I'm not saying there's not a place for them. Certainly there are people that love interacting in that way. There are social butterflies. I'm very envious. I wish I had that extrovert energy. I do not. I am an introvert through and through. I am exhausted by social interactions. And so, you know, we have those for those people, right? And then we also have other ways in which we allow people to engage. So some people prefer to engage in person or in smaller groups. So at Athena, we actually, um, when we downsized our office space uh, as, a, as a result of you know going remote, um, we actually just repurposed those funds and allowed everyone to spend, to expense up to $100 a month to hang out with each other. I love and that. Yeah, we, we are, I mean, so far it's going really well. People get together to do all kinds of things. I'm truly learning from our employees in terms of what kinds of activities people want to do and that we could leverage in the future. But people, you know, go canoeing together, go to a Broadway play together, and that's how they want to bond. Um, we also have people who just won't make the time outside of work hours, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, I understand that. Um, and so one thing that we have done is we have every other week, it's a company-wide required training. Um, and we pick a different topic that's relevant to whatever's going on. So, you know, ones that we've done in the past is, you know, how how and why to deliver effective peer feedback. Another one was, you know, effective communication in the remote world where, you know, someone sends you a Slack and you mislead the tone and you're like, they hate me, you know? And and and, and so, um, so uh, what happens is we do those trainings, but those trainings, 
um, the purpose is actually there's an ulterior motive. So one is skill building and growth. The ulterior motive is community building. Mm-hmm. And what we do is about uh, 40% of that time is spent in breakout groups where employees are just partnering with new employees that they otherwise wouldn't engage with to practice the behaviors that we're teaching, but also just to meet someone else, just to bond with someone else. And we have found that many people like to engage in that way. Oh, I feel like I'm both being productive and socializing, right? Whereas other people can feel stressed by, you know, because some of those people could feel stressed by, oh, if I'm socializing, then that's another hour of work that I have to do, or that's less mm-hmm. time that I have to binge Netflix after work, right? Um, and so, so the key here really is just providing a diverse uh, and inclusive approach to how you measure engagement and different ways to build engagement in your company. And of course, with all of this inherent is collecting feedback because you might find that one thing doesn't work, one thing does work. We found out recently that um, many of our employees actually don't like company swag, not not for any reason against Athena, but just, um, just because they're kind of like, how many t-shirts do I need? <laughs> I'm good. You don't hey, you could send me some company swag. I'm not. Uh... We'll have that set right over. <laughs> that's but super yeah. interesting. But but that's I mean that's one of your core values, right? It's like you you get feedback and you. I think that's the thing that I think is, companies have to be really careful of is like this just dismissing and going. Well, we're not seeing collaboration and creativity, for example. Number one, I think it's extremely hard to measure collaboration and creativity. I don't know what the measure of the bench line is for that. Maybe it's something in like how many innovative products they've come up with or financials. But I think it's getting creative. Like you guys have gotten creative and getting that feedback too and going, okay, what is it that actually, like, why isn't it that you don't want to do this? So why is it that this isn't working and not taking it personally and going, well, then, then you're not a culture fit or then you need to leave. And I think that's kind of like, what seems to be happening almost is like coming to go, well, we can choose what we want to do. And it's like, yeah, you can, you're running a company, but if you're going to understand the shift in people that's happened over the last two years, it hasn't, it's not, that's not going to change overnight because people have just, I think people have realigned their values. If you're not open to that and you're not understanding that it then becomes really hard in the future to actually like create environments that people are collaboration, collaborating in. I think that's exactly right. And like, I'm always, I always um, try to be so careful with my language here because like, I never want to make an HR person feel like, come on, get it together, right? Like I have empathy, right? We have been trained in this way for years and years. We have been told that this is how we measure engagement. This is what we need to do to drive, you know, success and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's a hard shift, but it is important to make that shift um, and reimagine how exactly we we measure success, how we how we work towards success. Because to your point around collaboration, right? I, I totally hear it when people think like the only way to get that is in person because you know you can't turn around to the person in your desk next to you to like make this random comment. But here's what you can do, which is when our employees got together to go canoeing, to go for dinner, to go to a Broadway play, inevitably, inevitably work came up and an idea came up and some cool idea came up. And then they shared that with their team after they got back to work, right? And then maybe they built FOMO and somebody else went to another activity, right? And so there are these alternative more organic ways to achieve the same goal. And so I think my thought here, and you know, this is something that I can struggle with as well being in HR, right? Um, is you know, keep your goal in mind, 
but be flexible on the path to that goal, right? Mm. They, you know, there's not just one way to get to, to was it you? Somebody who, who said this, it really landed with me. There, there are more than one ways to get to four. Could be mm. one plus three, could be two plus two, could be four, four plus it, what, three. That was way too smart for it to be me. Was it? Okay. <laughs> Somebody said it and it just really, it stuck with me, right? There are multiple ways to get to your end yeah. goal. And so it's important that we take a step back and think about what different approaches we could be taking. No, that is just, that's, that's a great, and I, I, that is how I came across you, I think, too. I saw a post about this whole activity thing and, and how you guys give money for that. And I was just like, that, it's so cool. And I think I, I was like, oh, that's such a great idea. And you're like, oh, I didn't come up with it. Company leaders did. But the, the thing is, is like, obviously, like your company is really big on feedback and learning and growing and, and creating those environments that people uh, can feel comfortable and do great work in as well, which I think is just awesome. I think so. And, you know, the last thing I'll emphasize on that front is it was so low lift. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people think like, oh, it has to be overly complicated. I've got to put so many hours into this. Literally, we had extra money. We thought, OK, what are we going to do with it? Let's try this. And that's yeah. it. And so, you know, how much time would it have taken me to coordinate a canoeing event versus how much time did it take me to say, you've got money, go spend it how you like. And then those employees did the work. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think you know, and part of that reimagining, also think about like, what's more efficient for you? What's gonna lower your admin time? There are low lift ways to achieve high impact. And so I really do encourage people to to think about that and not just focus on like, how many hours did it take me to do this? Cause if it wasn't that many, then maybe this isn't a good, you know, program. Yeah, no, it's massive. Well, hey, I, I wanna uh, just thank you for you know being on the show and thank everybody out there too. We did have a couple other questions that came through, but what I'd encourage you guys to do is go follow Melanie on uh, LinkedIn because her content's great and she's really, really thoughtful, like very insightful um, content and, you know, connect with her as well. And if, you know, a couple of these questions, you know, maybe she'll come back and, uh, and be able to answer in the future, but I definitely encourage you guys to follow. And I just thank you for everybody who has engaged like Maris, you asked a couple of questions, Jan, Douglas, Raven, LinkedIn user, I never know who, who the LinkedIn users are, but uh, Joe, um, Robin, Parvinda, Brandy, appreciate all of you guys out there. Uh, and Melanie, thanks again so much for your time. And uh, I'll send you the link to when this goes live on Spotify and iTunes. And uh, just, you know, really appreciate your time and, and being here and all the wisdom you shared. Awesome. Thank you. Very happy to, to be here with you. It was a great chat. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no worries. I'm going to end this broadcast. And it takes about a second. Think so.